while remote requires a great deal of forethought and planning, setting a foundation to prepare you for scaling and growth, it opens up a whole new world of talent that you don't have otherwise if you're stuck to a proximal location. You're listening to Seedcamp First, the definitive guide to help early stage founders get their companies off the ground, brought to you exclusively through the wisdom and lessons learned from some of the brightest minds across the Seedcamp nation. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Seedcamp First. I am very excited to be joined by the wonderful April Hofbauer. April is Vice President of People at Maze, Seedcamp-backed, global, and fully distributed startup. Maze is the continuous product discovery platform for user-centric teams. Now, in April's day job, she leads an agile people function focused on designing and implementing organizational development strategies that reinforce the company's values, build a world-class culture, and enable greater effectiveness and scalability. April is passionate about scaling thoughtfully and empowering great teams for long-term success. Before joining Mays, April was a senior manager recruiting operations and insights at all remote tech unicorn GitLab, where she supported and optimized the people team. Now, April, you are one of these rare unicorns in the tech world who has been living and breathing all things remote pre-pandemic and before words like hybrid working or fully remote even meant anything to us. So welcome. Very excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here as well. So we're going to dig into everything that goes into how you think about and set up building a remote team. And now Maze is 100-ish people across 36 countries, so it's pretty significant and chunky what you're dealing with. If you were to wind back into the early days and thinking about guidance for startup founders, what do you think startups should consider when thinking about fully remote as an option when they first start to build out a team? Yeah, fully remote, first of all, is inclusive, and it invites folks with new perspectives and experiences to be a part of creating something brilliant. And when you distribute your workforce, you empower creativity and focus, and especially when leaders build with transparency in mind and trust in their teams to work asynchronously, you create magic, in my opinion, and people are able to work when it's best for them and thus produce awesome work. If you want passionate people who are empowered to pursue their passions, both personally and professionally, it's just smart business to diversify your workforce across the world if you can. And I think the beauty of that is you're democratizing tech and tech can often be skewed towards centers of privilege and discount amazing talent that may not have the ability to uproot their lives to move to a tech hub or may not have the access to do so. And so if you are able to spread out your workforce, you're better set up to begin with. And when I mean to begin with, it's a lot easier to start out as remote than to adopt new ways of working. We saw that a lot during the pandemic when companies tried to replicate office experiences or didn't have the tools or the processes set up for a foundation of remote. It's very intentional work that you have to create. Once your company has that culture, it will evolve with you and your people will be invested to making sure that it's successful. And if you start with that at the beginning, you're already one step ahead. I love that. The focus on that actually it fosters 
much greater inclusivity for people who are passionate. And also we always talk about in tech democratizing access and why not do that in terms of your actual organization itself and not just for people being able to access and use your product. What do you think are some of the critical factors that a company should consider when they're assessing who are we and what do we want to be? Should we be on site? Should we be remote versus hybrid? How do you think through and advise people to determine those early parts and steps? Yeah, I am biased. My opinion will be biased because obviously I'm a firm believer in remote. I often joke that you could not pay me enough to go back into an office setting And I actually donated all of my business clothes to a charity that empowers women to achieve economic freedom by providing them, among other things, with professional attire for interviews. So I am fully bought in. I am not going back. But for me, just because there's not another option, I don't think that I'm going to say what's right or wrong from you. I think you and your founders and your early team really need to figure that out for yourself. Each one has pros and cons, but from my experience, remote is the best when done right. So I think the first thing to think about is how hard hybrid can be. There's always going to be this imbalance of how your team members are treated based upon their physical proximity to the office, their ability to come into the office, or if they're fully remote. And just a small example of that is the pre or post meeting talk. If you remember any kind of meeting that you went to in a conference room, you're always chatting before and especially chatting after. And sometimes that chatter after can completely change what was discussed in the meeting. And if you have people who were virtually dialing in, they missed all of that. So how do you communicate that to them? And more importantly, the why behind what the new decision or the new direction might be. So I think hybrid is just hard. On-site can be fun, but it's expensive. And not only in terms of the overhead and office costs that you have, but also just the energy that your team has to expend to get to the office or to get ready for the day to go to the office. And the small talk chatter that happens can be draining for some personality types. And so when you're in the office, you have a lot more of an energy drain than just work. Also, the proximity of having friends from the office can be energizing. But again, you're set within that time zone or that city limit. So you're limiting yourself in that way. The pool of talent is much smaller. And again, there's a real risk of not diversifying your knowledge and therefore your product. And then on-site is all about having that physical presence, but it doesn't always translate to productivity or output. And a lot of the times it's seen as contributing to productivity, right? That physical presence. And while remote requires a great deal of forethought and planning, setting a foundation to prepare you for scaling and growth. It has to be built intentionally. It has to be built with great communication. Again, it opens up a whole new world of talent that you don't have otherwise if you're stuck to a proximal location. You have to be intentional about documenting what you're doing, how you do it, and why you do it, not just for today, but also for the future and that historical look back aspect of it. And then people think remote work is easy, but it's actually, in my opinion, probably 10 times harder to build because you have to be so intentional about it and you can't just show up and do your thing and then leave. But in my opinion, it will probably produce a hundred times the outcome because you're working in a way that best serves your people and your team. And again, diversifying your knowledge base and your team members. 
I mean, a hundred times the outcome is a pretty sizable. Do you think from your experience that there are certain types of business that are better suited to these different styles of working? My experience has been very tech knowledge based. I'm not really familiar with e-commerce type businesses. I do know that there are some that are remote and have been successful at that. But it's also a matter of if you have your, let's say, knowledge-based workers, your corporate workers remote, can you also have that in production and in shipping and receiving and things like that? So I think e-commerce would be interesting, but I am definitely not an expert in that area to, to talk to that. It's really, it's a really interesting one because there was such a shift towards this, like that had to happen during the pandemic. And then it's hard to know what's real and what's media fabrication. But have you seen, because I imagine there was probably a lot of companies offering remote working opportunities during those periods, whereas now perhaps those are fewer and far between and it's much more in office hybrid. Are you seeing there's a competitive advantage for you guys as a remote first organization? And have you seen a shift more broadly back to more traditional ways of working post pandemic? Yeah, what was interesting about this is I can remember pre-pandemic at GitLab, we had a head of remote who our CEO wanted to champion remote work. Our, the CEO of GitLab is a very firm believer in remote work and in asynchronous work. And so that was the head of remote's primary purpose was to evangelize the need for remote work and how to do it and how to do it right. And then you had the pandemic where companies were scrambling to try to figure this out. How do we continue people being productive when we're not allowed to go into the office? And so what was interesting at that time to me was you had companies who weren't getting it right. They just couldn't figure it out or weren't invested in it or weren't open to new ways of working. And so I think those are the ones who have articles about how remote workers are unproductive and how they need to return to office. So they're not playing video games during the day or something like that. And so if it was done wrong, you have this big swing to go back into the office, that the office is the only way for you to be productive and to have a successful workforce. But if people were open for new ways of working and invested in people to make sure remote was done right, invested in tools, which is a big thing, to ensure that it was done right and evolved with it to make it successful, I think those are the ones that have converted and are like, I get it. For us at Maze, the competitive advantage was we were able to scale quite rapidly at a time when talent was really hard to come by and the market was super competitive. And I think it also informs our product much better. Our product is aimed at making sure product teams can research and unmoderated testing. And we're able to do that when we're remote and work asynchronously to a large degree as well at Maze. So it's been huge for our success, huge for our growth. Um, and also our culture. I think we're better for it, having a a diverse workforce. So no backtracking at Maze. You've heard it here. No, no, no return to office. And that's the thing now, right? Is that people have changed where they live because they were promised that their company was going to stay remote. And now when there are these callbacks to office and they live in another state, what are they supposed to do? Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of that. 
Um, I always perhaps wrongly joke that the people who are the most desperate to go back to the office are the ones that need people to laugh at their bad jokes during the day and they don't get that like when they're in front of their computer screen as much. Yeah, their family's tired of them and they want them to go back kind of a thing. <laughs> um, so April, what are some of the best practices you recommend founders adopt based on your experiences from both Maze and GitLab? Yeah, I think a lot of my foundation of ways of working come from GitLab. They were very prescriptive in a lot of the styles of working at that time, which I think, again, is sometimes necessary in a remote world. One thing about GitLab and and that we've truly adopted at Maze is working asynchronously as much as possible. I often say that we aren't remote first. I have a whole uh, conversation about why I don't believe remote first is a way to describe a company like Maze where we're fully distributed. But what I do say is that we're async first. And we default to asynchronous ways of working as opposed to making sure everybody is on at the same time. Because again, we're spread out across the world and you can't have everybody on at the same time. Um, I think it's important to document everything and to use meeting agendas, not only so that you're making the good use of your synchronous time, but also the documentation for historical decisions is super important especially in startup worlds where you sometimes are struggling to remember what happened yesterday. And then you try to think back of why did we make this decision a year and a half ago? And what are we doing? If you have that historical documentation, it's all right there for you. And also if you have a meeting and it's to discuss things or to make a decision, I always call those a working session so that people know what the purpose of the time together is. Is it to brainstorm and to try to figure out something together? Is it trying to solve a problem quickly and you need that synchronous time? Call it what it is. Don't just have a meeting just for the sake of meeting. Developing processes is very important. Providing training on those processes early and often and making sure that you're evolving. And if it's a living, breathing process that you're doing because processes do change. And as I said earlier, investing in tools is super important, especially supporting fellow tech companies. They're out there trying to solve these real problems that we have. Let's invest in them. Uh, And I also love investing in tools from startups because they're open to feedback and they're open to helping us solve our problems because we are hopefully the future and they want their tool to be successful for future employees. And I think one of the things that we sometimes forget is the individual is responsible to set the boundaries for themselves and to set them early and to stick to them. And for me personally, this is sometimes the hardest thing to do, but when you have internet anywhere you go and you can jump on your hotspot anywhere you go, it's sometimes very hard to disconnect and you need to make sure that you're taking that time away for yourself and not just talk about the productivity that can increase as a part of remote work, but remember there's a human there too. And don't forget those human elements. How do you balance boundary setting in this world where you perhaps wouldn't have as much information naturally about people and their lives and what they're doing? Are there any sort of tips or processes you have in place to help encourage that, as well as any opportunities or things you encourage for more human interactions day to day that aren't with a set purpose in mind? Yeah, I think those are two very different points. 
the human element to it. So it's not just like a transactional thing is something that will be unique to every company. And that's why investing in a people team early helps because you can set intention behind some of those moments and having creativity and having fun times together that aren't just a virtual happy hour or something like that, I think is important. And then creating boundaries for yourself, you need to figure out what works best for you. And one of the terms that GitLab coined, at least I think it's from them as a manager of one, where I need to manage my day, I need to manage my priorities and rearrange my to-do list in a way that makes sense for me. And then my manager, my CEO doesn't know what time I log off for the day, right? They don't know how many hours I'm working. So I have to be really accountable for myself and everybody has their own way to do it. I personally try to bookend my days with meditation. I try to bookend my days with walking the dog or something that gets me physically away from the computer, away from the office. And as much as possible, trying to walk away from that. The only like company tool I have on my phone is the calendar, because if I didn't have that, I would always be late. But other than that, like I don't have Slack. I don't have email. I don't have anything else on my phone because it's just too easy to check in for a minute, or I'm just going to go clear out my email or something like that. You really have to be responsible for yourself in those regards and find ways that work for you. And because we work asynchronously first, Nobody is required to work a nine to five or something like that. And it's really about how you're successful for your day. So if you need to work at night, because that's when you're more productive, or maybe that's when your house is quiet or your caregiver, and that's when your partner is able to be the primary caregiver, that's great. Do what works best for you. I don't expect you to be on at specific times. Love that. It just relies so heavily on trust, which we all say that we want to foster in our organizations and give, but more often than not, people really struggle to properly live that and how they behave and the processes and structures they have around how they organize and create their teams. Have you noticed or are there any leadership styles that are particularly well adapted for running either or remote or async first global companies? The manager of one, again, is self-management. I think that's really important. But if you're talking about people leaders within a company, empathetic leadership is very important. You have to recognize that line between work and personal life is more blurred than ever in a remote work environment. So you have to care for the human as much as you do for the employee and recognizing that at any moment of the day, that line can get crossed and blurred and that's okay but you have to recognize that as a people manager. Uh, And I think servant leadership is another style that is very important and continuing to get more of a spotlight where you're empowering others to thrive, you're supporting and guiding them without needing to micromanage or without needing to dictate how or when the work gets done. And also you no longer need to be the loudest voice. Stereotypically, the people in power are the loudest voice in the room and they're more of dictating what is getting done and how it's getting done and standing over your shoulder to a degree to ensure it's getting done. Hopefully with servant leadership, that's not the case and that's no longer happening. Yeah, nobody wants that person barking orders over your shoulder. That is for sure. Um, April, last question from me. What are some of the biggest mistakes you've had obviously you've worked in organizations that are genuinely passionate about 
building structures and, and being remote first or async first. But I'm sure you've been inundated with questions from people who think they want to be that way, but aren't necessarily able to live it fully. So what are some of the biggest mistakes you think founders make when building distributed teams? I think at first remote has been seen as just simply working from home. And that's not really the case. You can work from coffee shops or a car. I work from a car quite often and making sure that people are set up for success with tools to work from wherever they're most productive and that connections have to be intentional and have to be built specifically for virtual engagement. And it's not just not in the office, it's elevating the trust you have in your employees and that trust and communication go hand in hand where you as a leadership team are not making decisions in a vacuum or without transparency. You are setting a foundation of communication, documentation that earns the trust of your employees and that your employees feel trusted and empowered. I also think mental health can be an afterthought in remote work. It often focus on the time-saving aspect of remote work, but ensuring people have psychological safety, are supported emotionally and professionally, are more important than ever when you remove that proximity to their coworkers. Again, not investing in the team that runs your remote business. So for us, it's the people team. I believe that the people team is generally, historically, the most understaffed. And when you add the complexities of remote work, it's worth investing in an amazing people team early in the company's history to ensure that you have that set foundation to build and scale off of. And then the last thing I'll say on this topic is the ops of remote and global companies can get super complex. And as the VP of people, I've also been over legal and IT ops and until very recently finance. And we have team members in 36 different countries and you can't imagine how complex that can get. So things that I think about on a daily basis are typically outside of the people realm where we're issuing stock options or getting laptops to people in all corners of the world or ensuring global compliance, which our world is not set up for remote work to be easy. But most importantly, it's to keep everyone engaged and thriving. My CEO and I joke all the time that everything we know about legal or stock admin or something, we know against our will because some situation has cropped up that we didn't encounter before and we had to figure it out together. But it was never something that we were like, oh, today I want to learn how to issue stock to somebody in the Philippines. <laughs> the joys of startups, right? Yes. Yeah, for sure. You're always on the same side of the table when you're working and working together. And that can be really fun. But sometimes, again, you find out stuff that you're like, I never wanted to know any of this information, but now I know it. <laughs> An unwitting expert in all of these things. Yeah, exactly. April, this has been such a fantastic conversation. If I'm to sort of summarize some of the key points and how you think about setting up distributed, fully distributed teams, it's that you have to invest in it early and really be intentional in how you think about it that you really need to set your people up for success with the right tools and products for them to be able to use, that it requires transparent decision-making process from the leadership, 
documentation, 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 more important than ever. And that there are all these other things that come into it from an ops perspective or compliance perspective that you may not have been thinking about. And it's not necessarily the easiest default to be distributed first, but the benefits that it can have from a democratization inclusivity perspective are massive. That's a perfect summarization of our time together. And I think that it's not a playbook that you can go and replicate from company to company. You really have to figure out what makes sense for you and your team and the culture that you want to cultivate and build and just being open to trying new things and to do things that might fail and that's okay. But just being open to it, I think is a huge first step. Love that. April, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Speak soon. Bye-bye.